Good morning, all. Zach to start the morning. Good morning, everybody. It's just me. It's just Brother Marty coming in hot. I hope you're all well. You're listening to the Gnostic Church and Academy of Lord Jesus Christ. And we're here talking about the Prisca Theologia and Christian possession. This seems like a kind of this. I don't really think that this is a hot topic for a lot of people. I don't think a lot of people are going to see this video and be like, oh, I have to click on this. But it is a very important thing to discuss considering we um, discuss Gnosticism here. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. The Prisca Theologia, that God has given mankind one theology, one religion, period, to every single person that comes down here. And that's what we celebrate, and that's what we're going to talk about today. So thank you all for joining. Uh, as always, we do service every Sunday, as you know. If you get a chance, uh, 9 a.m. Central Standard Time, if you get a chance, stop on over to GnosticAcademy.org and become a member. You can do uh, tithing, you do donation, all that good stuff. Uh, ring the bell for notifications. You know how it goes. Um, I also got, sorry, I'm sipping my coffee here this morning. Thank you all for joining me this morning. Mark Brotherson, Ben Krupa, uh, Remy Vega, Mr. Interverse, Mom, Virginia Dare. Uh, thank you all for being here. The Bees Queens. All right. Awesome. So I uh, got my rock fins set up. Uh, a lot of stuff uh, that's uploaded over there. 
and I put everything in categories. So there's whole, there's, you know, you can see it's really easy to navigate now. So it's got all the music videos there, all the documentaries. Um, and it says premium there for a, a few of them, but they're not. There's some of those are absolutely free. So um, all the sermons are free, all the documentaries are free. And then the rest is just premium stuff. And then I highlighted a few videos that if you're new to the channel, you should watch like the fall of Elbert Pike and squaring the circle, scripture and the stars, which we'll talk a little bit about today. Um, but yeah, that's all categorized, all ready to go over at Rockfin. So if you want to support over there, that's that's awesome. We are getting a BitChute, Rumble, Odyssey. I think things are starting to go up on Rumble this week. And then Odyssey and BitChute will be right after that. And that all comes to you thanks to ContentSafe. Thank you, ContentSafe, for uh, helping me out and getting me onto all these other platforms because I couldn't do it without you. So we appreciate that. We are streaming to YouTube, of course, and Rockfin. Looks like Rockfin is up and running, which is great. And so, oh, it's your stream is ready to go live. Well, why isn't live? Well, it should be live. Anyway, that is uh, up and running over there. So um, if you want to check that out as well, we are on Rockfin. Also, I'm um, just getting a few things out of the way before we get going this morning. Um, I'm going to be part of the True Earth Mount Miru Summit Friday and Saturday, November 11th and 12th. That's this year. It's an online summit. You don't have to get, you know, remove yourself from the comfort of your couch. You can just watch this online and it's a great deal. A bunch of really great speakers and entertainers. Um, I'm not going to go over the list, but a whole list right there. Uh, a lot of great people. They they really did a, a great job in getting a whole spectrum of, of presenters and um, entertainers, comedians, musicians, that sort of stuff for the whole summit. And of course, it's all going to be focused around God's true cosmology, which we'll talk a little bit about today. And so if you get a chance, the promo code is Marty50, Marty50. I would love to see, you know, 20, 50, 100 of you guys sign up over there. Um, it would help us out. It would help the, the conference out so they can do it next year and keep this thing rolling. So um, Thames.live, True Earth Mount Miru Summit. Thank you all for anybody that has signed up. I'm also doing One Day of Brightness with the lovely Lindsay over at Rogueways. And you can go to rogueways.org. That's rogueways.org. And you can purchase that as well. That's an online summit. We're going to be talking about um, some of the things we're going to talk about today a little bit, but um, focused on the winter solstice and the meaning of it and... Um, uh, the just all the spiritual information that we can gain from God's cycles in the heavens, which, like I said, we'll talk about today a little bit. So if you get a chance, go over and support that. I'm not even sure what days those are. Uh, December 18th, I guess. All day. So it's like a yeah, eight-hour kind of thing. And I'll be speaking for, I think, an hour and a half, and then we're going to do like half-hour worth of questions, Q&A. And so it should be a good time. So, um, all right. All right. Will Book. Awesome. Thank you all for being here this morning. I uh, just want to say I was going to do a whole live stream on Flattoberfest and doing like a review of Flattoberfest, but uh, I'm on limited internet, as you guys know, so I didn't get a chance to do that. But just so you know, Flattoberfest was great. We got to meet uh, a few of the people, a few of the churchgoers here. Um, John Trufsika right there and had a great conversation with him, a couple great conversations, had a few beers. And it was a really great time. We, um, I would highly recommend you guys going next year. Everybody was super cool. Like you can go in in there, and it's it's like a big, it's like a big family reunion. Except people aren't fighting. You don't have like the drunk uncle, and that's a dickhead, and you know that sort of thing. It's just you could go up and talk to anybody about anything, and it's super chill, super relaxed. All the people are super cool and super awake, if you will, and aware. Got to hang out with Dave Weiss and his um, his lovely lady Paige, and they're they're a hoot. I love those guys a lot. Karen B is just uh, just fantastic. 
Um, we got to meet Mark Sargent finally. Um, great dude. Had a great conversation with him. Media Bear was there, of course, and I freaking love Media Bear. Got to see Austin Witsit and meet a bunch of people. We met uh, Th Lee Thunder Chicken was there. Really great dude. Uh, has has a, his own little farm going as well, which is great. He's got like ducks and chickens and uh, goats, I think he, he said. And so that that's really cool. Got to meet him. And um, got to meet Balderson, of course, the Hobbit. Got to meet the Heathen. So I said a Hobbit and a Heathen walk into a bar and get photobombed by a Jew. So that's what happened. But uh, it was cool. Got to meet Balderson and his wife. And his wife is just uh, fantastic. Um, as soon as we met them, like we got along with Christy. That's his, that's his wife instantly. I think there was a moment where Balderson and I looked at each other and we had this moment. It was, it was an unspoken moment, but it was like, I think our wives are cooler than us pretty sure that happened but anyway uh was really great flattoberfest um besides driving back for 14 hours straight i'm not 20 anymore as i found out but uh other than that it was great we had a tiny table we had our little it was a small table <laughs> for our for our display we have to get our display game up um it's kind of lacking let's just say that so we don't have business cards or anything like that we're a tiny church as you can see by how many people show up at our there's 70 watching we're tiny it's a small church so, uh, but blind, blind Willie McShakes was there and, um, people loved him. He couldn't see them, but he loved them. Javier got to spend some time with Javier, which is always fun. Always great conversations. Had some good tacos and, um, chat with Mark, Mr. Sergeant there. Mr. CIA Sergeant. No, he's just, and I mean this in all, uh, is with, with as much love as I can possibly emanate out of me. Mark Sergeant's a big geek. He's not working for the CIA or anything like that. He used to play video games for a living. So that's, you know, and I mean that out of complete love because I'm a dork too. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> but, um, you know, people like to throw a lot of shade at the guy and he's he's not anything what you, what they, they say online. He's just, a, he's just a loving, really nice guy that uh, loves being part of the flat earth thing, you know. So um, had a great conversation. Wits it, killed it. Um, I didn't see all of his presentation, but he did... But I saw like, I don't know, five, ten minutes of it or something like that. I didn't get to see pretty much anybody's presentation because we were busy talking and getting food and, you know, all that sort of stuff. And so, but um, really great when we did the Q&A. There's me talking about some stuff, some math, some numbers and things. You know, just a bunch of nonsense. Anyway. So it was great hanging out with the land of misfits and the ne'er-do-wells. All the people that exist on the peripheral of society that have zero issue being like, yeah, we're, we're being lied to about a spinning earth. So it was great. Got a few thank yous before we get going here, and then we're going to launch into this. And I hope you guys enjoyed this this stream today. We're going to cover a lot of really important um, Thunder Chicken. It was great meeting y'all. Yes, it was great meeting you. It's so cool. Everybody there, like you could just walk up to anybody and just start chatting, and it would be. It's just, um, it's very refreshing being around that many people that you don't have to worry about. Oh, do I have to guard my language? Are they going to get upset here? You know. Of course, people have all sorts of different takes on things but when your foundation literally the earth um when you agree on that it's just like everything else seems to be like kind of secondary you know so um when you agree on god's actual cosmology what he's given us and are not lied to about him so thank you to a bunch of people first off stacy pimentel thank you so much for your donation it completely helped us out this month like and we needed it and so thank you so much um, from the bottom of our hearts, it was, um, the, you know, there's any, any sort of support, whether it's just being here or just, you know, showing verbal support, monetary support is all very, very much appreciated by Jennifer and I. So, 
um, we want you to you guys, you guys to know that. So thank you for being here and thank you for the support. So Stacy, thank you very much. Julie Pradal, I got your your little uh, envelope and letter, and thank you very much for that. We really appreciate it. John Truth Seeker, of course, that was uh, that was this guy with this fantastic mustache. Look at this freaking mustache. Look at that. He's it like twirls at the end. It's so it's so I'm jealous. You're not supposed to be jealous of other men, but I'm kind of jealous. And it does. I can't really grow a thick beard, and I certainly can't grow that mustache. So there are things that I fail in this life. So anyway, John, it was great hanging with you. Excuse me. Javier, Thunder Chicken, thank you all for your guys' support. They, they ended up getting a Bible rosary package. Eric C., The Bees Queens, uh, Mark Brotherson, Deborah Stille, The Stille, uh, J.M. Grassi, Small Axe, uh, Teresino Sulo, and Allison Flynn. Thank you all for the support last week. I really appreciate that. Okay, let's get into it. This is um, Porntash. I know, but he's he, but he's a solid dude. He's that's a, that's a good man right there. He's a good Bayard. He's a good good Bayard. That's what we like to call him at this household. Bayards. There's there's meaty birds and there's planty birds and there's good Bayards. So anyway, that's not gonna make sense to anybody. But anyway, today we're gonna talk about the Prisca Theologia and Christian possession. We're gonna talk about how most Christians are in their view of religion and their take is possessed well shit thank you marty eric c thank you 5555 i appreciate that that that's uh amazing thank you so much uh so this sunday service 039 today we're going to be doing the prisca theologia and we'll explain what the heck that is and uh christian possession okay so let's jump into it. This is going to be, I'm going to try to make this um, expedited as much I can, as much as I can, but I'll also try to be slow and paced and, and concise and all of those words that I can put together to try to make sense of this world. Anyway, the Prisca Theologia, let's get it. This is what we teach here. This is what I teach, actually I discuss in this book, um, this one called Lord Jesus Christ. It's a whole fat book on the Savior. And it's gotten a really good reception. In fact, Mr. John there, he said it was the second greatest book ever written next to the Bible. Now, I think he's, you know, I think he might have had one too many IPAs when he said that. But I'm going to leave his opinion as his opinion because I'll take it. So anyway, had really good responses to the book. But one of the things I talk about in the book is the universal mystery religion. There is one, there's one God and there's one religion. And that's it. Period. End of story. There's one church. Period. End of story. And we're going to discuss and uncover what that church is, what that religion is, and what that God is today. Okay? And it's, uh, so I call it in the book, the universal mystery religion. It's also known as the Prisca Theologia. Prisca Theologia is the ancient, is an ancient theology, is the doctrine that asserts that a single true theology exists, which threads through all the religions, and which was anciently given to God, by God, to humans. Now, when we says all religion, it says all of the, this, this means all of the great religious traditions. This doesn't necessarily mean like Scientology and things like that. But the general sense is that when you get to these tra mystical traditions, esoteric traditions, religions that have been around a very long time, that when you get to the core of the esoteric nature of them, it all teaches the same thing because there is only one thing to teach. And this is what God has taught us. And we're going to discover how we find that today. Um, the Prisca Theologia was made famous by essentially this guy, Marsilio Ficino, but it's, it's an idea that is, it's not just like he came up with it. In other words, it wasn't just like in 1500 or whatever, this guy decided, oh God, you know, no, it's been around and can be found in cultures across the world. This, uh, the, the same underlying themes and, and patterns and notions. 
And this is where comparative mythology and you know, looking at the different religions and looking for their commonalities, looking at all of these different religions, mythologies, cultures, and not seeing, oh, the, the, they're different than this and they're wildly different here and they believe this. Going past that and saying, what are the things that are common? Okay. We did this last week when we talked about the Trinity. We talked about the Trinity. We found the Trinity all over the world. We found it in Norse stuff and like the Grecian. And then, of course, uh, uh, the, the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, of course. We saw it in Hindu stuff and the Egyptians. And we just go all over and we find this Trinity. And it's a specific mathematical notion. It's right. It's a, a idea of three becoming one. It's not five becoming 12 or 193 becoming seven. No, it's found across cultures, across time, the same idea. Three, becoming one. Why? Because God has given us that notion. And all of these different cultures just went and actually understood it. They understood the transcendence and truth and proofs of God. And they encased these things within their particular religious traditions and stories, mythologies, and things like that. This is exactly what we have going on with the Bible. Period. Full stop. So, I'm going to read a little bit. This actually comes from uh, partially a scattering. I sort of mishmashed a bunch of this together, but it actually comes from my new book that I'm writing called Scripture and the Stars. And we'll talk a little bit about that. So God has created, let's first talk about the omnipotence, omniscience, and omnipresence of God. Let's first talk about the fact that there's only one God and that God is the totality of everything. Everything we experience, everything that in the created world is God. God has created the entirety of the heavens and the earth. Both as above, so below, and nothing exists outside of him. There's, especially when you look at least into scripture, Old Testament and New, there's no question about this. It's written all over that God has created everything, right? We hear in Genesis 1-1 that God created the heaven and the earth, everything upstairs and everything downstairs. And Colossians 1-16-1-19 reminds us of, of God's fullness and preeminence when it says this. For him, excuse me, for by him were all things created that are in the heavens and that are in the earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones, dominions, principalities, or powers. That's all, that's a Kabbalistic stuff right there, by the way. I won't get into that, but those that's a reference to Kabbalah. That's a reference to 987, etc. 654321. Um, all things were created by him. Not going to get into that. That's a long discussion. Moving on. All things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things and by him all things consist. He's before all things all things are created by him. All things consist because of him. And he is the head of the body. We're going to talk about the body of Christ today. The church, colon, the church, colon, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things, all things, he might have the preeminence. For it is for it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. All fullness all things. In order to create the experiential world that we inhabit right here, God did not reach outside of himself for anything. Everything that, that we experience, everything that um, in the created world that we experience, every created thing comes from God. Now we understand that evil in this sense, as we've, we've covered before, does not come from God. That comes from God allowing it to exist and man making the choice to do evil things. So his actions are different, but every created thing comes from God. He did not reach outside of himself. With God, there is no outside of himself. That's not a thing. Every created thing by God comes from God, cannot be separate from God, and is of the essence of God. 
when we say, when God said in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters, and God said, let there be light. When God spoke, what it, he's, he's speaking creation into manifestation. He's speaking light, and it's coming from it within him. This voice is coming from within him. It's not like he, he grabs some words and letters and sounds from outside of himself. No, it comes from within God. We are always surrounded by his holy presence, and everything we experience is part of his all-embracing totality. God is often defined appropriately as omnipotent, omniscient, and omnipresent. And these three aspects of one solidify uh, the absolute jurisdiction and universality of the Almighty God. God sees all things, knows all things, and is above all, through all, and within you all, as it proclaims in Ephesians 4, as we know. True monotheism. Allah, yes, all, Allah. True monotheism, the idea that there's one God. So a lot of people will, in a lot of traditions and things like that, will come to this and be like, oh, our God is, the, we believe in one God and this is the Zoroastrian God. No, it's the Hindu God. No, it's Muslim, it's Muhammad or Allah or whatever. That's our God. No, it's Christ. It's still God. And they're missing the point entirely. One God means there is one God. It's not your decision or your you know, series of mythology that is the one God, that's an explanation of the one God. Your religious tradition ultimately is trying to explain and capture within its stories, within its myths, within its symbols, within its allegories, the parables, everything. It's trying to explain to you, to try to get you to understand the actual one God. This is where true monotheism comes from. The oneness and totality of the Creator. True monotheism is born out of the basic understanding that God is one. And there is absolutely and ultimately nothing but God. God unites it all. He is the All-Father, the entirety, the totality. Every unimaginable and inconceivable thing outside the limited mind of man, that which is beyond the beyond, as well as the within and without of all things, is encased by the oneness of his being. He transcends all dualities and multiplicities, solves all paradoxes, and is in the world, but not of it. There is nowhere we can possibly roam on earth, nor in the landscape, landscapes of our minds, where God is not. We exist in him. We cannot be separate from him. Inherent, and this is where the Prisca Theologia comes in. So when we understand that there's one God, well, that one God has given us one religion, one religious process in which we are to follow. And on earth here, it's basically based on morals. We're, we're, in, a, we're in a place in which we've been given the chance to go towards the evil and against the will of God or go towards the will of God. We've been given that choice. And ultimately, it's a choice of based on what? Morality, care, love, compassion, heart. And this is what true gnosis is all about, as we'll, we'll find out. Inherent within this, within our creation, when we go out into the natural world, we can experience God's oneness, understanding that everything is connected, as we'll talk about today. But not only that, that God has given us a religious process to follow, and it's crafted within everything. Inherent within nature itself exists what may be termed a universal, what I like to term, a universal mystery religion. It's a, it's a, it's a religion, it's mysterious, and it's universal, which means when we say universal, it's available to all people, everyone. 
or what is anciently referred to as the Prisca Theologia. The Prisca Theologia asserts that a single true theology exists, which threads through all religions and which was anciently given by God to humans. God himself has given us this religious process, and he gives it to us every single moment of our, of our waking day. We, we have access to it. We can understand it, as is what we're going to do today. God has given everyone the exact same spiritual decree. His commandment is writ large within the fabric of creation itself, found in everything around us. This theology is one centered on the cycle of life itself, most notably based around the sun. And this is why we do so much work, especially within this book. There's a whole chapter on Jesus being the son of God. Um, all the all the mathematics associated to um, you know Jesus and the Son, th- things that mathematics that you could draw right from tracking and mapping the Sun, the the system that you use to track and map the Sun, the sexagesimal, the eighty six thousand four hundred seconds of the the day, the four thousand three hundred twenty minutes of three days, you know all of these sorts of things, all of these patterns we can find within the mathematics of Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Who, by the way, which is, it's crazy that people will not make this correlation that Jesus is, at least in one symbolic representation, the son. His grandpapa was called Helio. Helios. That's what his grandpapa was called. Helios. That's a reference to the son. Of course, many, many um, cultures across time, um, I should say, Many traditions, the traditions that I come from, the traditions that I have uh, followed, being Theosophical, Gnostic, Freemasonic, Rosicrucian, um, those sorts of traditions, they've all written volumes and volumes of literature about the fact that the Bible and the stories of the Bible cannot possibly be understood unless you bring astrology to bear on it. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Of course, what is one of the central figures of astrology? The sun. So the sun is a supreme symbol of the mysteries. Here's a book I'm doing. Um, oh, Stella. Stella, speaking of stars. Stella comes in with a hot $9.99. Thank you so much for that. Uh, it's just one book. So I was writing my new book, Scripture in the Stars, and I was, you know, I needed to do some referencing. And so I just picked up one book from the shelf, and it was called The Astrology of the Old Testament by Carl Anderson, where he goes in the beginning and thanks Freemasons and, uh, you know, all of this stuff for, you know, <laughs> basically passing on this information. And so Jennifer didn't even know that I had this book. And she was like, oh, what's that? The Astrology was like, yeah, there's tons of this stuff. When you go into these traditions, which most Christians have been told by their churches is demonic and satanic, this is where you'll learn this stuff. This is These are the traditions which allow you to make sense of the Holy Bible. And the, and the, the most of the churches, the literalist churches today, tell you to stay far, far away from, away from those traditions. And not only do they have they never read the books, they don't know anything about the traditions, they misrepresent these traditions, but they don't know what their Bible is saying. And that's pretty clear to those that are here, to, to those that have spent time. Um, like I've got some older folks that actually watch from home um, that have been in and out of churches over the years to send in their kids to this church and then they fall out of alignment with it and then, then they go to this one and they're 70 years old and they still can't make sense of the stories of the Bible until they came to this church and we're like, well, the problem is, is we're, those churches haven't given you the tools. In fact, the very tools in which to understand those biblical stories, those churches said were demonic and stay far, far away from them. Well, that's nuts. 
And this is why I've decided to start a church. One of the main reasons to, that I started, quote unquote, started this church, and we'll talk about what the church actually is today, because I didn't really start anything. Oh, we're do- anyway, we'll get into that. One of the reasons was so that we could clarify this for people. Mark Brotherson, thanks, brother man. Thank you. Okay? So the sun becomes a symbol, a supreme symbol. And once again, this is why we do so much work with connecting Jesus Christ and the sun. Of course, you find halos, you know, the iconography of halos, you find across culturally, there's one behind Buddha there. And of course, you have this sort of the sun disc on top of Horus. Hours, Horus, hours, Horus, hours, hours of this Horus, right? Of the sun, a sun god figure, and then of course Jesus and his disciples, all rep- saints, all represented as being illuminated, enlightened saints. These were these characters right there. They were going to eternal life. That's what that means. And what do you have? A symbol of the sun behind their heads. It's already true, Mary. The sun, yes, six six six. Six six six. How dare you? How dare you? Yeah, we cover that one too. <laughs> so thank you so much, by the way. So this is what it's the 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 sun is a central figure, supreme symbol of the mysteries. Okay. So we're going to talk a little bit about that today and why the sun dictates our entire study of the heavens. In other words, when we go out into the world and we want to try to understand God and His religion, do we need all the religious books in the world. Do I need to go? Oh, do I need this? I got the Quran here. And I got the, oh, don't forget the Vedas. And I got the Poetic Eddas. And it's like, oh, I've got these here. And these are the ones they're going to tell me about God. Wait, no, I've got this one here. And it's like, oh, I got this. And this all, the, all, the truth <clears throat> is in this book. Well, maybe. Yeah, in fact, I, you know, we, we have Bibles here and we study the heck out of them. In fact, we're going to be doing the chapter of Mark coming up here, line by line, letter by letter, number by number, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, we will do that. So yes, I'm not saying that these things aren't genius. They are. But ultimately, God's truth is not necessarily written in a book. It's written in the world around you. And one of the ways God is trying to get you to understand his religious process and his truth is through the Son. Hence why, I cover that in this book as well, hence why you find so many sun god figures across the earth. Quetzalcoatl, Kukulkan, Adonis, Horus, etc., etc. The sun dictates our, our entire study of the heavens because its cycles determine the day and night and the rise and fall of the seasons. When the sun retreats at night, we are allowed to see the banner of the stars of the Milky Way and the wandering lights of the zodiac. It's only when the sun retreats that we are even allowed to see the heavens. And when it arises new in the morning, we are given light and warmth to welcome another day. Of course, we know this is the power of the sun. That grows, helps us grow crops and makes us feel warm and you know, with vitamin D and all that other stuff. I don't need to go into that. The sun is the main celestial body that is always predictable with its 24-hour cycle. 24 hours, oh, it's going to be there. 24 hours, it's going to be there. 24 hours, it's going to be there. As opposed to the moon with its varied varied periodicities and rising and setting and all that other stuff, right? The moon is, moon is a little lunatic, if you will. We don't know what, what, what stage is it in, waxing, waiting, gibbous crescent. Is it rising over here? Was it, you know, there's a, there's a, 
quote-unquote unpredictability to the moon where the sun is like, oh, we can, you know. So hence why the sun becomes the central figure of the mysteries. Every calendar is ultimately based on the sun's foundational movement through our skies. Yes, you can have lunar calendars. Yes, you can have Venus calendars. Yes, all of that sort of stuff. But every single one of those calendars will, ulti will ultimately be based on what? The sun. The sun thus becomes a doorway into the mysteries of man's predicament here on earth. It is. This is what it is. It's a door. The sun itself is a doorway into the mysteries. If, if you want to understand what God wants of you, he put a bright light in the sky and made it made it like clockwork so that you could understand it. God has made the world a classroom. It's exactly what it is. And has given man a spiritual directive through the story of the sun. Within the sun cycles naturally exists a poetic story of death and rebirth. It tells this tale when it metaphorically dies every night and is reborn again every single morning. The sun tells this, the same story every year with its death of the world in the winter where everything dies and the rebirth again in the spring and it goes in this cycle and it goes again and it cycles again and again and again. A poetic story of, oh, the sun's dying on the horizon, it's gonna be night and then it's born again in the morning. It's a simple story that God tells us every single day. But the cycle of death and rebirth is not just one found in the sun. The moon sings out this, this the song of this story as well as it traverses from full moon to new moon to full moon and back again, gibbous to crescent, waxing and waning in this ever-recurring pattern across our skies. What is it, though? It's a cycle. It goes from, the moon is gone, it's away, and then all of a sudden it comes back full. Death and rebirth. A poetic, metaphorical death and rebirth. We may say that every cycle in existence, from a woman's 28-day menstrual cycle to the 88-day orbital path of Mercury, speaks of the universal rhythmic cycle of life, death, and rebirth. In other words, this, this pattern of death and rebirth is crafted across the fabric of our creation. And all we have to do to understand our spiritual directive is go out and understand what God has ordained in the heavens. This foundational wisdom is what is behind the universal religious system that God has embedded within creation itself. Every truly great religious tradition behind the veil of its exoteric has this basic premise at its deepest esoteric level. This is one of the things that when I studied Freemasonry, Freemasonry is one of the things is, you know, it's an order that accepts all the religions. And why do they do this, right? As long as you believe in God, they will accept you into their order, that kind of thing. Because they know that God has given us a universal process. And that, they understand the Prisca Theologia. They understand the universal mystery religion. And hence why their main myth is one of death and rebirth. That's what Hiram Abiff is all about. The loss of the word and the subsequent finding of this word, recovering of this word. The death of the word, the, the, the finding it again. It's all referencing death and rebirth. This is what happens down here, as we talked about in the last few, um, live not last one, but the one couple before. We talk about a cycle, a circle itself is living proof of design. If this was just a chaotic mess, and we were just coursing through galaxies, and things were whipping around, and there was no, then you wouldn't have not only the pattern of the sun as consistent as it is, but the moon, and Venus, and Saturn, and all of the other celestial objects in the sky. They all do what? form a pattern 
go from, oh, Orion, just as I saw last night, oh, is going to fall into the earth and is going to die. And guess what? When I, when I, when I wake up to pee tomorrow night <laughs> at midnight or whatever, I'm look up and there's going to be Orion again. Orion is following a pattern, a cycle. A cycle itself is proof of design. And not only is it proof of that design, it also shows us what our spiritual directive is. And this is why everything comes into a cycle here. High tides and low tides, the seasons, day and night. All of these things, right, is, I mean, at least we understand them because we live through the day and sleep at night, that they're based on the sun. Once again, I've got a bunch of videos on Rockfin here. If you guys want to get into the math, the mathy stuff about Lord Jesus Christ and how he's directly related to the sun, not just in English, in Greek as well. So what you have with Christianity is a retelling of the same tale that's been told again and again and again and again across time. It's the, it's the story of death and rebirth. It's the story of the sun. It's the story of God's one true religion. And we teach that here at the Gnostic Church of Academy of Lord Jesus Christ. And we do it through the Christian doctrine. Because... As I've found over the years, you can't even make sense of the Bible until you understand these fundamentals. Until you bring God's ordained celestial canopy, the heavens above, to bear on that on this book right here, you're not going to understand anything. Because that's what this book is trying to get you to understand. As I've said before, this book here is trying to get you to transcend the book, to get out of the book. This is why it says the epistle is written in your heart. People sit here and it's like, well, it says in Isaiah 11 here, this thing here. Great. What is it? What is God saying right now above your head? <laughs> what about that? This book is trying to get you to understand that. And this, unfortunately, is what nearly every current contemporary Christian religion has forgotten. This is also why I did the astrology of the book of Mark, why I did that whole chapter, and why we'll do the whole chapter of Matthew as well, to show, once again, story by story, that you only can make sense of this stuff if you bring astrology to bear on it. And as I said, I come from the tradition that people have been explaining this year after year, book after book, have been talking about this. And what you have is actually modern, most of modern Christianity ignoring this saying no it's not that or maybe it has something to do with astrology but it'll you know and then you start actually showing how and then well then out come you know the rug gets pulled out from under their whole their whole worldview and that becomes a problem so speaking of worldview um we only have 117 watching thank you all for being here jacob law jam grassi ben krupa Angers. The wonderful Jen McNally. Jesus Christ is here. Might as well throw me a wrench. I feel left out. Yes, I'll throw you a wrench. Boom. Wrench thrown. Okay. Just so you guys know, uh, let me say this. The reason I give everybody, uh, most people, wrenches here is because this is a church service. This is not just your average, everyday Dude streaming on YouTube. This is a church service. And everybody that walks into these, you know, proverbial doors of this church is going to be upright, is going to be kind, is going to um, not argue in the chat and fight and things like that because we're all here for one thing, and that's to worship God and learn. 
And so um, I, f- I feel like, hey, anybody that walks in the door, they should, you know, they're worthy of getting a wrench. As long as they, you know, they, they come back here, of course, and they're, you know, not a nuisance and things like that. They deserve a wrench because everybody is a moderator here. So that's why I do that. So, um, are we still talking about John Stash? I mean, it's it's a worthy discussion. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying we shouldn't, but okay. So, speaking of one God, one theology, this is the other thing that a lot of people get wrong, and I'm going to try to clarify this here. There is only one cosmology. We all have the exact same cosmology. We all share the same cosmology. Now, sure, there's different explanations and different religious books and creative interpretations and mythologies and things like that that explain cosmology maybe a little bit in their own unique ways. But the fact of the matter is this, and this is absolute truth. We all stand on the same solid ground, and we are all shrouded by the canopy of the stars above. End of story, full stop, period. We all share the same cosmology. I don't get, I don't have a different cosmology than you. Now, some people don't understand, most people, I would say, don't understand their cosmology because of, you know, once again, that's why I went to that Flattoberfest thing. But we all share the same cosmology. What is it? Well, um, Earth is the material plane. It's the matter. It's the terrestrial. It's the corporeal. It's where things are corruptible. It's where evil and pain and suffering and um, lies and that sort of thing is allowed to exist. It's the known. It's what we can come to know. I can go climb the top of, you know, Everest and see the top of that. I can, you know, that sort of thing. We can come to know the physical world. It is the physical. Above in the heavens, and that's literally everything that is above us, is metaphysical. Meta means beyond. And that's exactly what the stars, the lights, and the canopy of the the firmament are. They are literally beyond the physical. That's what they are. No man can go and change the course of Sirius or move Al-Natak, Al-Nalam, and uh, uh, Mintaka from the seats in their Orion's belt. You know, no one can go and say, well, I guess I think I'm going to have the sun rise in the West today. No, God ordains those things. They're beyond the physical. They're incorruptible. Man can do nothing except observe them, count and track them, and understand their influences. So all the stars, all the lights, the moon, Everything that's above you is beyond the physical, hence it is metaphysical. Light, by the way, just a, a little side note here, you know, God commanded, when you when you read Genesis, it says, you know, God made the lights. That's, that's all he calls it. They're literally just lights. He doesn't say that they're objects or celestial objects. He doesn't, you know, that's it. They're just lights. That's it. Well, light defined um, archaically or in a theological sense is divine truth. That's what light is defined as. So when we try to understand these lights theologically, do you know what they're literally defined as? Divine truth. It's because that's what they are. The lights are unknown. We don't know what they are besides lights. That's it. We We can't possibly know because we can't go up there because they're metaphysical. It's beyond the physical. They're incorruptible. We can't change the course of Venus. We're not going to be like, hey, I think I'm going to make Mercury go retrograde for another six days. It does not work that way because everything above is metaphysical. It's incorporeal. It's celestial. It is the spirit as opposed to the matter. It's the spiritual as opposed to the matter, the material. Okay? So when you look up, you're looking at the metaphysical realms. Period. So people talk about, oh, I want to talk about metaphysics. Okay, well, you don't have to go 
you know, <laughs> go roaming around in your imagination or come up with some good philosophy to explain your metaphysics, all you have to do is go right outside and look up. And God has given you his entire metaphysical structure right there. Metaphysics may be defined uh, in one way because it's beyond the physical. Meta meaning beyond physical, meaning physical, of course. That which is incorruptible. Well, you know, um, when we talk about the laws of nature, that's in the material. That's We understand it through the material world. But we can't go in and change those laws of nature, can we? No, we can't. Just like we said, we can't change the course of the sun. Winter is going to come. And there's nothing anyone can do to stop it. So the laws of nature, even though they, they, they emanate through the material world itself, are metaphysical. We can't change them. They're incorruptible. How about the lights and the wandering stars of the firmament? Everything that's upstairs, can we go change those? No, they're beyond the physical. They're incorruptible. Every single human being shares the exact same cosmology. Why? Because there is only one God. There's only one cosmology, and he has given us one religious process. And that's ultimately death and rebirth. What is the other thing why I focus on mathematics so um, so heavily, uh, at least have in the past? Because they're literally supernatural. That's what math is. There is no physical number seven that you can go and, oh, this is the number seven here. No. But does the number seven exist? Yes. Where does it exist? Everywhere. You have access to that number whenever you want. It's everywhere. It's available to all peoples. And no one can com can pervert or distort the number seven. The number seven is always going to be a prime. Its divisors are always going to be one and seven. The seventh triangular number is always going to add to 28. Three times three is always going to equal nine. Two plus two is always going to equal four. And A squared plus B squared is always going to equal C squared. And nothing, there's nothing anybody can do to stop those absolute truths. You can lie about them, just like they lie about our earth, sure. But they are, they are incorruptible. Now, the problem is, is at least in the Christian religion, they most of these religions don't understand their holy book. They don't understand the context in which it's written. They don't understand the metaphysical things that um or the they don't understand the metaphysics behind it. What what the Bible is actually trying to get you to understand is these metaphysics. The Bible itself is there, the stories, the parables. You know, besides you know besides the the the, the you know the the morals and the allegories and that sort of stuff. Of course, that's part of your cosmology as well, considering that that's what we're here to do is to be moral, upright creatures, right? Virtuous, faith, grace, by God, that sort of thing. But the Bible is there to teach you about these metaphysical truths, these divine truths that have been given by God. Now, because they get lost in a book, because they get stuck in a book, even though the book itself in the New Testament says, oh, well, you know, this the epistle is written in our heart and it's not in um, tables of, uh, in, in tables of ink or in fleshy tables of stone. It's written in your heart. Even though it very, you know, very clearly says things like this. These religions, these denominations get stuck in their own interpretation and their own belief system. Well, there's nothing to believe when it comes to God. God has ordained his truth right above your head. And his message is within the rising and setting of the sun. Now, 
if you went into the Eastern Orthodox Church or the Anglican Church or the Pentecostal Church or the Protestant Church or the Lutheran and the Evangelicals, the Catholics, and said, look, that's what this book is ultimately trying to get you to understand. The universality of God's truths. Well, would they not? They would definitely say, well, astrology's got nothing to do with it. Or maybe it has a little bit to do with it over here, but we're not going to focus on that. We're not going to use God's metaphysical patterns above to help us actually understand the Bible. No, 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 no. Jesus being a representation of the sun, oh, that's some zeitgeist stuff. No, no, like I said, there's an entire tradition which they've never studied, nor care to study, nor care to be honest with, that talks all day long about it. So, the biggest problem with having one God It's actually no problem at all, but for these churches and these religions, these denominations, the biggest problem is that you have this one God with with his one spiritual decree, and he's written the one book, right, allegedly, and there's one Savior, Christ, and none of these people can agree on it. So you have one God and, you know, as we'll see, one faith, one baptism, one hope of glory, one book one spiritual decree and a thousand different denominations that can't agree with one another, that argue over it, that will do debate shows, that philosophize all day about what the book means. Well, this is where I talk about, this is possession. This is being possessed. When you think as a Christian that you have the one true right way and that's it and nobody can do it, it ha- you have to go through the Orthodox Church and the Church Fathers and this is the only way, you're possessed because you're taking possession of something that you don't own. God gave his truth to everybody. God gave the canopy of the stars above to everybody. His religious decree, his spiritual directive for us is the process, is the, is the, it's in the possession of no one or everyone. Everyone has access to it. So when a human being or religious tradition comes along, and that includes the chosen boys over with the ruffians, or the, you know, Christians that do this all the time, it's the red ladder, no, it's the Jehovah's Witness, or the Orthodox, the Eastern Orthodox, we have the one true right way. When anybody ever does this with their religion, they are, by very definition, possessed. Because they're possessing something that they do not possess at all. They cannot possess, because they don't own it. Possession is the act or fact of possessing, the state of being possessed, and ownership. Law, in law, actual holding or occupancy, either with or without rights of ownership. So, you don't own anything, as we're going to come to find here. As we're going to come to find, uh, you don't even own your body. And we'll talk about that. So this is, this is p- Christian possession. We have the one true right way. You're going to hell unless, even though it says judge not, lest ye be not judged, which is obviously talking about eternal judgment. You're not supposed to eternally judge somebody. They still do it anyway. We got the right one. Mine, 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 mine. Oh, you precious. We've got the right true way and everybody else is an idiot. And you're, you know, this is what you'll find. And this is actually what I've been experiencing the last couple months. A bunch of possessed people that are saying, 
Mine, 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 mine. Oh, shut up. Just shut up. You don't own anything. Have some humility. You're not even here for, what, maybe 70 years, and then you're up and gone like a fart in the wind. Through the hourglass of time, the sands of you are washed away. This is why we understand Gnosis isn't a denomination. It's a methodology, if anything. Gnosis is recognizing that, hey, I'm going to, I don't, I don't know if this one's right, you know, or if it is right, then it's going to have to be in alignment with my actual lived experience. And I don't know if this one's right, or maybe this guy, I don't know about this one either, those Vedas or anything like that. But you know who will always be right? God. And we can go to God himself with the metaphysics that are right above our head, that are available to all people. God also put those metaphysics right here. That's why we do a lot with math. We can go to that and say, oh, well, that's not going to lie to me. God is the truth of all truths. So if I go to men, if I go through the Baptists or the Catholics or the Protestants or the Orthodox or the Methodists, or the Evangelicals, Jehovah's Witnesses, the Lutheran, all of these different denominations, a multiplicity to talk about one thing doesn't make a lot of sense to me. If I go through them, then I'm going through men to understand my religion. Well, I'm not going to do that. Gnostics don't do that. We seek knowledge from the divine, from God himself. And this is why Gnostics embrace all the great traditions. And this is why Masonry accepts all manner of faith into their organization. Because they know this to be true. They understand the universal mystery religion. They understand the Prisca Theologia. Gnostics put their trust in God, not man. And this is why it says, and I've brought this up before, Psalms, the middle of, you know, the middle of this book, 118.8. You can look at the very center, smack dab of this book, and it's... Um, it's right before the shortest verse and right after the, right before the longest verse and right before the shortest. So one, Psalm 117 is the shortest, right? It's just a tiny one. It's like our table at Plateau River. It's a tiny verse. Ooh, little chat. Look at this. So there, that little chapter there is very short. Then Psalms 118 and 118.8 is the center verse of the Bible. And then after that is Psalms 119, which is really long. It starts here and it's one of the longest. So, smack dab in the middle of the Bible, 118.8, Psalms, says this, It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. So, I could put my confidence in the Lutheran explanation, or the Jehovah's Witness explanation, or the Orthodox, or the Evangelical, or the Methodist, or the Baptist, or the Catholic, the Protestant, the Seventh-day, and all these people, all these men will fight over one another. But if I put my trust in God, I don't have to worry about whether the sun is going to rise in the east tomorrow. Do I? No. I don't have to go to Pastor Bob or Priest William and be like, well, what do you think, brother? Is the sun, is, does two plus two equal four? No. This is a logical fallacy, by the way. To even engage in the fact of, is, is, um, it's an appeal to authority. Your authority's God. That's who you appeal to. That's what the book says as well. Smack dab in the middle of the thing. It says, do not put your trust in men. Now, this is also why we say 
we embrace all the great traditions because it's not like we just throw out these traditions. You can learn so much from every single one of these traditions. But if you put your faith and trust in men, guess what? Then you're going to have a, a, a limited understanding of God where God, by the living expression of his emanations, by his classroom, you can understand his lesson plan. And that's what Gnosis is all about. Gnosis is knowledge of spiritual mysteries. It's knowledge. That's, all, that's it. Knowledge, it's, it's from the Greek. It's from the Hebrew. There's a lot of people that are ripping on Gnosticism lately. And it's just like, it literally just means knowledge. What do you think true spiritual knowledge is all about? Well, so this says, uh, Sophia, Doth, Gnosis, and understanding, which is Tavuna, which is a synthesis. So the Lord gives wisdom, Sophia, from his face come knowledge, so this is Proverbs, um, knowledge, doth gnosis, knowledge, that's what it means. The Greek word gnosis, this means knowledge, that's it. And understanding, tivuna, which is a synthesis. Well, what, what do you think Gnostics are doing? They're synthesizing all of these great traditions. They're doing comparative mythological work and saying, wait a second, why is the Trinity found everywhere? Well, maybe because there's something transcendent about the Trinity that's not just stuck in this book right here. They're doing a synthesis of all these things and saying, I think there's a connecting thread here. And what is that connecting thread? God. So, Gnosis, oh, they think it's all about secret knowledge and knowledge. Yeah, it is about knowledge. It is about, abs Gnosis is all about knowledge. And where do you think that knowledge comes from? As I've written in my book, as I said time and time again on this channel, where do you think that knowledge comes from? Do you think it comes from up here? Do you think, it, do you think having a top-heavy you know, brain full of a bunch of information is where knowledge comes from? No. That he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all saints the oneness and totality and universality of this God, that God reached not, he can't even reach outside of himself. It's not even a thing. To create all of creation, which means God embraces all of this, all of his creation. And you're there to understand this totality. And when you have that Christ that's rooted and grounded in love in your heart, you may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height, and to know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge, gnosis, that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. God's the totality of everything, everything we could possibly imagine and things we can't imagine. God is this embracing sphere or circle that encapsulates everything and everything within it, every created thing, as the Bible says, has been created by God. And he is within them. He is within that. We exist in him. And what does the Bible say? Well, Christ exists within you. Knowledge, true knowledge, true gnosis comes from the heart. It doesn't come from your stupid brain. This is why we always talk about the sacred heart of Jesus. Hence why 
one of the last chapters of the book is um, the Sacred Heart of Jesus. All this, oh, there's 500 and some 450 pages or whatever of all a bunch of mathematical information and comparative mythology and symbolic work and understanding the basics of, you know, the decimal system and all that other stuff. And as I've said numerous times, this doesn't mean anything unless you have it in your heart. Because that's where true knowledge comes from. Once again, when you go across culture and you realize, hey, they, let's see, the Egyptians, they had that Horus, they had a sun god thing, a central figure was like, a, you know, that ended up fighting Sat, which is what the sun does, Sats, and then Horus on the horizon and the horoscope, right? What is the, when you cross the gates uh, in the Egyptian weighing of heart ceremony, what, what happens? Your heart is weighed on the scales of Mat. Are, is is Anubis there? Is he is he weighing the initiate's brain? <laughs> no. It's like, well, how much math did you know, bro? No, not at all. And that, hence, once again, why it says the epistle is written in your heart. True knowledge comes from one's heart. Man is here to undergo a spiritual death and rebirth. Our spiritual journey here is one ultimately seeking eternal life and unity with the Creator. We seek not only union with the divine in the afterlife, but in our own experience here on earth as well. All of life it's, itself is, is preparation for death. And you want to die before you die so you don't die when you die. You want to die before you die so you don't die when you die. Earth is a place where individual souls make their journey through a labyrinth of obstacles, challenges, suffering, and pain, descending into a place where evil is allowed to exist. Why? So we can temper our swords and be virtuous, moral, loving, heart-centered people. The material plane itself has been created by God for the express purpose of, as Alvin Boyd Kuhn is quoted saying, forcing souls to undergo stress and strain in order to develop our greater potential divinity. This general notion that uh, you're, you're a soul captured uh, within you know, a, material, a material body in order to undergo a, a liberation is, is all over esoteric literature. It's all over the, the studies of hermeticism and alchemy and that sort of thing. And it's what the Bible's really all about. Man is tasked with a journey made for heroes. He is to make his way back from his fallen place amongst the stars, transcending the ephemeral and return his soul to the eternal. The divine spark within has fallen from on high and is now encased in physical bodies. The corruptible, so we can seek the incorruption. And this light within us is directly connected to God Almighty. This is our Lord. And we'll talk more about this. Um, I actually covered it in the new Pi in the English Alphabet, Volumes 1 through 3, a little bit, about understanding the terms Lord and God and what those refer to. We've talked about it on this channel as well. But God is the totality of the whole thing, and the Lord is the Lord within you, just as it says, Christ within you, the gift of the Gentiles, the hope of glory within you, the kingdom of heaven is within. The Lord is the spark of God within you. And we'll get, we'll get into that when we do Matthew as well, talking about Emmanuel, why 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 Jesus is capitalized, why Lord is capitalized, etc., etc. This is our Lord. It is our divine spark. Each of us have a direct link to God, and this link is our life and our light. It is what enlivens and animates us. It is Christ within, the hope of glory, and the gift of the Gentiles. Our light has been set into the fleeting, 
and the corruptible to experience the temporary in order to seek the everlasting. We're here in the temporary to seek the everlasting. And what do you think paradise is? It's eternal life. This is why you have numerous verses talking about the corruptible man and incorruption. About how flesh and blood, what is it, 1 Corinthians 15, 50, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of heaven, nor does corruptible inherit the incorruptible, that sort of thing, or incorruptible inherit the corruptible. Every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. For this corruptible must be put on incorruption, and this mortal must be put on immortality. Mortal, immortal. Corruption, incorruption. Material, spirit. Terrestrial, celestial. This is every single human being's cosmology. And it don't matter. It don't matter squat, whether you're Chinese or Buddhist or agnostic or atheist or one of the gazillion denominations of Christianity. Your cosmology is exactly the same. And there's no way you can possibly understand your soul's journey home unless you understand this cosmology. For as much as you know, we are not redeemed with corruptible things. You're not redeemed with things on earth. All your expensive stuff and all the money in your bank and blah, 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 blah. Things of silver and gold from your vain conversations received by tradition from your fathers. All those vain things like silver and gold and the traditions of your fathers. These traditions. These, these endless traditions. Being born again, you're not redeemed with corruptible things, but with incorruptible things you're redeemed. Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. What does liveth and abideth forever mean? Eternality. Eternal. That's what it means. And this is what I always, this is one I like uh, quite a bit. It's Colossians. It's chapter one, one, I think. Um, endeavoring to keep the unity. This is when we talk about one God. There's one God. There's one truth. There's one religious process. There's one cosmology, and God wants you to understand that oneness. Because if you can't understand that oneness, then how are you going to unify with him in oneness and eternality? Time itself is divided. Past, present, future, yesterday, tomorrow, sun going up, going down. Oh, the cycle. Why is it there? So that we can transcend out of it and get into unity with God in the afterlife. But guess what? We have to experience it here. Otherwise, doesn't mean anything after life. We have to experience that unity here. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, even as you're called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, the totality, the entirety, who's above all and through all and within you all. And each of us is given grace according to us measuring up to that perfected man known as Lord Jesus Christ. And that is our actions here, what we do here. That spirit we've talked about, the spirit, how do we know that we are um, under the, you know, that there is only one God? Well, there's the one spirit. And what is spirit? It's the animating or vital principle in man and animals, spirit, soul, directly from Latin spiritus, breathing, breath, a breath of God, inspiration, breath of life, life itself, breath, the air taken into or expelled from the lungs 
Do you breathe separate air than I do? Or is that air that we're breathing connected all across the plane of this earth? It's absolutely connected. There's not like the air here, that air is connected to the air right next to it, which is connected to the air right next to it, which is connected to the air right next to it, which goes all the way to Indochina and goes into the breath of some squinty-eyed dude and then comes all, and that air is the same as the air that I'm breathing of this short, stout, stupid hat Irish dude. The same spirit, the same breath. We all breathe God's one holy breath. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And the earth was without form and void and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. Before even God said, let there be light, his breath existed. And when he spoke, what do you think came out? His words, his light, and his breath. And we breathe that. It's not different for the Hindus, and it's not different for the Masons, and it's not different for the Buddhists, and it's not different for the Evangelicals or the Orthodox. No. We breathe one spirit. The non-physical part of a person, which is the seed of emotions, character of the soul. And guess what? God unites all of those things. Every individuation here, God unites it. God ascended it in the higher and ascended into the lower parts of the earth that he might fill all things. And he gave some, comma, apostles, semicolon. And some, comma, prophets, semicolon. And some, comma, evangelists, semicolon. And some, comma, look at this grammar. Look at what they're doing here. Pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints. Wait, I thought the saints were perfect. They were perfect under God's perfect. Anyway, for the work of the ministry, for edifying of the body of Christ. What is the body of Christ? All things. We are in the incarnation of Christ itself. Till we all come into the unity of faith. Thank you, Brother Marty, Sister Jen. Much love. Thank you, small acts. Thank you, my brother. Unto the measure of the stature of that perfect man that God wants us to, you know, um, ascend to, right? Take up our cross and follow. Unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness. Fullness. And this is why we talk about the one body. For as the body is one and hath many members, and all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. I don't think you can get any more like um, mathematically specific here, okay? There's one body. That's it. And have many members. All members are one body. So when these churches come along, these possessed churches, remember these are these are people that have a possession within them. They're saying mine, 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 <laughs> they're saying we have it it's our church and you're not part of that body really interesting because apparently you can't read so we being many are one body in christ and everyone members one of another for we being many are one bread and one body for we are partakers of that one bread for by one spirit what did we just talk about the breath of life that goes within every single human being's lungs 
we're all breathing the same spirit. We're all baptized into one body. Whether we be Jews or Gentiles or whether we be bond or free, whether Buddhist or Hindu or, or a Muslim or anything like that. Do the Muslims breathe different air than we do? No. Do the Muslims exist under a different canopy of stars than we do? No. Do the Muslims stand on a different ground than we do? No. And people that think that they have a, their own explanation and that's the one true have a possession, are possessed because they own something that they claim to own something that they don't own. There's one body and one spirit, even as you're called in one faith. One hope you're calling. That's Ephesians. Did I say, I think I said that incorrectly. Anyway, I think you get the point. So this is what we talk about when we talk about going to church. There is only the body and the church of Christ. That's it. There isn't like a different, there isn't like the, well, I go to a Catholic church and I go to a, and I go to a Orthodox church and I go to a Pentecostal church and I go to an evangelical church. No, there's just the church of Christ. That's it. For as we have many members in one body and all members have not the same office, but now there are many members yet, but one body. So there's different, different stations, different offices, different members, but guess what? Every single different one of those members and offices and stations all are part of the one body, which is Christ. And what is he? The head of the church. And that he might reconcile both unto God in one body. So we exist within the totality of God. We exist in him. We are in the body of Christ. So his jurisdiction is total. This is what, this is what we talked about before. His church, there is only his church. His cosmology, there is only his cosmology. There is only the one cosmology. There is only the one church. There's only the one theology and there's only one spiritual directive. Now, once again, as Gnostics, as a, a Christian Gnostics, we understand that best through the Christian Bible, the New Testament. And there's a lot more to discuss there, of course, but hence why Jesus is understood as a son, his grandpapa was Helios, etc., there is only one God, one cosmology, one spiritual decree, and God has jurisdiction and authority over everything. So while we're lost in this U.S. and the United States Corp and state and county and city and local, and then don't forget, we could also put denominations on here. Oh, we're, I'm in the circle of the evangelical denomination. No, I'm a Catholic, so I'm in this circle. No, you're not. That's what you actually exist. This is where you actually go to church. Wherever you put your two feet on the cold, hard ground, you are in the church of Christ. It's not a building down the street. I'm not saying that the building down the street isn't important. I'm not saying that a physical, you know, having an established physical church isn't, isn't important or that tradition isn't, that those things are important. Community, coming together, obviously. But don't forget where Christ's church actually is. And that's everywhere. Because his spiritual decree is everywhere. Because God is everywhere and his theology is everywhere. And his cosmology is everywhere. Everywhere that you can look, where is God? There. Omnipotent, omniscient, and omnipresent. A church is a building or public, uh, a building for public Christian worship. What is the building? What is the temple? You. Public worship of God or religious service in such a building. Where's the building? That's your temple. This is the whole allegory. I got another like 10 minutes and I'll wrap this up. 
whole allegory of Solomon's temple. Solomon's temple is an allegory for the building of your temple. And apparently most Christians completely miss this. It says at the very end of Solomon's temple, and beginning to, I believe, um, 1 Kings 7, I think is the chapter. Don't quote me. 1 Kings 7, where it talks about how God is, uh, they're, they're building a temple to house the Lord. And then it also says that God dwells in a temple not made by the hands of man. So once again, we have to ask a pretty basic question. What temple are they building in Solomon's temple? Your temple. So that God can reside within you and you can recognize it. A church is also defined as this. The whole body of Christian believers. Christendom. This is how it's defined. The whole body of Christian believers. So, this is my problem with the endless denominations of Christianity. And them saying, well, they don't have those Gnostics. They don't have the one true right way like we do. And so we're just going to you know, d- debate them and go online and rip on them and talk about how they're not, they're not actual Christians. And to... Really? Because we're reading the same book and, you know, oh, oh. Our understanding is a little bit different than yours, but we're still recognizing the one body of Christ, right? We're still recognizing that what the church actually is, right? We're still reading from the same holy book. We're still under the same canopy of the stars, right? We're still under, we still have the exact same cosmology, correct? Of course we do. So where's the church? So when I say, oh, I started a church, I didn't really start anything. We're just getting together and recognizing what's already there. We're doing it on Sunday at 9 a.m. Central Standard Time because we understand that Christ is in one symbolic manifestation, a doorway into the, the mysteries, that sun is, the supreme symbol of the mysteries, that portal. That's why we do that on Sundays. But anyway, so that's, that's, your, that's your church. It's the whole body. And it's unfortunate that all of these Christians, they seem to not want to get along and want to make divisions where there are no divisions. That seems pretty childish. It seems pretty silly and it seems, pardon my language, but rather stupid. The other thing about God is when we get into his jurisdiction, when we understand, oh, is it, it's his total, this, when we understand that God has created all things. Through him, all things consist as above all, through all, within you all. As opposed to that, we understand this. We understand that, well, um, we don't, we're not possessed. So we don't really possess anything. In fact, everything, because God's jurisdiction is total, is owned by God. Everything. Know ye not that your bodies are the members of Christ? You know, just like you said. Shall I then take the members? Oh, I don't want to get into that. Uh, but, he is that is, but he that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. When you, when you actually recognize the truth and, and unite with God, you realize, oh, yeah, this is one spirit. I, don't, I can't separate the air. I'm not going to separate the cosmology here. No, it's all one canopy of the stars. Then it goes on to say this. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple, the building, the temple of where you're supposed to worship? No, ye, no, knowledge, knowledge, ooh, 
Gnosis, know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God. God gave it to you. Ye have of him. And you, ye, are not your own. You don't even own your body. You got it on loan. God gave it to you when he gave you life. And guess what God's going to do when he's ready to take you? He's going to take it. You got it on loan. You're the proprietor, or maybe that's a good word. You're the caretaker of your body. Hence why one of the, the, the golden rule is so important because it's not just, hey, oh, you did something against somebody else's, exerted your will against, or harmed somebody else. That's bad. Yeah, of course, right? And they didn't want that or whatever it was. You, you, you punched them or you raped them or whatever it was that you did against another person. It's pretty bad that you did it against another person because you wouldn't want that done against you. But then, um, then you also realize, well, when it's actually God's property, it puts it into a whole nother level of understanding how you're supposed to respect other people, how you're supposed to treat other people. Because guess what? If you do harm to that person, you're doing harm to that person in the flesh. They might feel pain and suffering or whatever it is. But you're also harming God in this sense. So when people say, ah, it's my body, my choice. I get to kill that thing in the womb because it's my body. No, it's not. That's not even your body. You're a caretaker of it. You're there, you have it temporarily, and when you die, God is going to take that body. And then it's going to flutter away into nothingness. Into ashes to ashes, dust to dust, food for the worms. Now your soul, that's eternal. And that's directly linked to God. Because God is eternal. And he has put you in the temporary for you to find that eternal. So, my body, my choice. No, you don't own your body. Nor do you own the child that is in that womb that's a spark of God. You don't own that either. That's all of God's. So show some humility and show some respect. This is more of the, you know, my body, my choice. This is mine. Mine, 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 mine. Nice mine. Oh, my precious. Mine. Shut up. Shut up. You don't own anything. Show some respect. Have some humility. And do right by God. God's giving you this vessel, whatever vessel it is. And that's the one he wants you to be in. In this incarnation. And die. And be reborn with it. Don't get all schmeagle. Okay? Don't go all golem. All right? Look up, uh, anyway, let's not get into that. Because that's what you'll end up looking like. A possessed mess of a creature. We'll end it with this. For to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom. To another the word of knowledge by the same Spirit. Knowledge. Once again, is knowledge up here? Is it just all a bunch of information and numbers and stuff? No. No. Knowledge is ultimately about heart and what you're doing here. And what you're doing here is to perfect that heart. To bring that light back home to God. To another faith by the same spirit, to another the gifts of healing by the same spirit. 
to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another divers kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. But all these worketh that one and the selfsame spirit, dividing to every man severally as he will. One thing, God Almighty, in the totality, has divided amongst us, us all. For as the, one, as the body is one, and hath many members, and all members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. It's his fullness. It's the length, height, depth, and width. For by one spirit we are all baptized into one body, whether it be Jews or Gentiles, whether it be bond or free, and have all been made all to drink into the one spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. There's a line, it's Matthew, and I'll end it this. There's a line in Matthew, uh, Matthew 10.30, and it says, let's just read it. It's Matthew 10.30, and it says, um, and we'll see if you guys can get the riddle here, okay? Talking about the oneness of God. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. No, I don't have any hair on my head, unfortunately. I could, but I, I shaved my head. It says this. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered, Matthew 10.30 says. The very hairs of my head are all numbered. Well, one thing that they're saying right there is God is designed and every single facet of his creation has been designed perfectly. So, but of course, now if you started pulling your hair out and you looked at it, would, would it have a number on it? Would it be like self-enumerated? No, right? So if you pulled a hair out and be like, well, that's one hair. And then you pulled another hair. I say, well, there's another one hair. And then you pulled another out and it'd be one hair. And then one and one and another one and another one and another one. Do you get the anagogical meaning of that? All those differentiations, all the variations, all the multiplicities come back into what? Oneness. All the, all the numerous hairs on your head come from what? One God who's given us one theology, one spiritual directive, one cosmology. And he really wants us to understand it. So much so that he put it right above our heads, right on our hands. And this is what we teach at the Gnostic Church and Academy of Lord Jesus Christ. And ain't nobody gonna stop me. So, thank you all for being here today. I really appreciate it. 140 watching. Very, very, very good. Very good. Girls was timed out. Oh, was really... Uh, but I wanted some porn this morning at our church. <laughs> I was hoping that they would send me some good videos that we could watch later. <laughs> um, how dare you? Girls 18 XWYZ whatever. How dare you come to this church and spread your filth? We're not doing that here. It's just a bot. That's okay. If you guys want and to like to support the work, I really appreciate it. Three months, uh, quarterly tithing, one year. You can sign up at, uh, and that's at GnosticAcademy.org, GnosticAcademy.org. And you can also go to Rockfin. You can donate. I really appreciate everybody that donates every month. Um, it, it, it's the only thing that keeps this thing going is you guys. And so that's how it's going to be. And it won't be any other way. I'm not getting, I'm not going to, you know, get a, a sponsorship from like 
I don't know, like cash now or something like that or Tide laundry detergent. We're not doing that. This will keep going if the people want it to keep going. And if they don't, then it won't. And that's how it is. So, um, so thank you so much for your time. And yes, Laundromat. Okay, so we're going to listen to a song by, um, by this guy named Andy Laub. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Nemo289V. Thank you so much. Hide that person. Um, we're going to listen to a song by a guy named Andy Laub. And he did a, he, I actually interviewed him a long time ago. Uh, but he did a, um, a movie with his friend called The Pacific Crest Trail. I think is what it's called. No, it's called something else. Anyway, um, I think it's on the graphic here. But he did all the music for the soundtrack, and my wife and I really love this soundtrack. I'd highly recommend getting it because it's. Um, and he did. He produced and wrote all everything, and so for the soundtrack for the movie. And the movie's really good, and um, so is the soundtrack. And I think you can still get it. So we listen to it all the time. And this one is called Angela's, and we're gonna listen to it. Okay, um, that's gonna do it for us. May you always keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. May his grace be with you all. Amen. Thank you all so much for being here. You know what? I didn't do a prayer this morning. I, My Lord. That's okay. That's okay. We won't, we won't do it. Since the service is over, we'll, we'll let everybody pray on their own. How, my Lord. Julie Pradal, thank you, Marty. Love you guys. Love this church. Except when I forget prayers. <laughs> <laughs> that's okay sometimes i screw up it's okay you know i am a human being we are sinners we do fail you know so it's okay all right i will see you guys next week i think next week we're gonna finally do let's talk astrology why astrology is important why are we focused on it we covered a little bit here of course the etern uh, the incorruptibility of astrology it focuses on time all that sort of thing um, and then we're going to get into Matthew. I want to get into the book of Matthew and we're going to go one to 28. We're going to do just like we did with Mark. And then, um, when I'm done with that, I might do a documentary on that as well. So, but if you, uh, we are the prayer. Look at that cat links. See, you came in and you schooled me. Yay. Astrology week. Yes. And I think I'm going to do it. Um, okay. Let's do it. So guys, enjoy the song and I will see you next Sunday. All right. As always. Many blessings and much love to all.